Podcasting from the Chicagoland area, this is Game On with Jackson Stewart, where we discuss men's lifestyle, focusing on sex, fitness, relationships, business, and more. We'll be interviewing the best of the best, the hot shots, and the rising stars in the worlds of modeling, fitness, cooking, and more. Influencers who are discussing keeping it sexy while at the top of their game. I'm your host, Jackson Stewart. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the game. Follow Game On with Jackson Stewart on YouTube at Game On with Jack, on the official blog www.gameonwithjack.blog, and at the new store www.gameonwithjack.shop. Keep it sexy and game on. What if you could be a better player for the cost of one more cup of coffee a month? Get access to a growing library of lit erotica, behind-the-scenes action, and player's guides with tips on drinking, cooking, fitness, dating, sex, and life after dark. Low-tier rate while offer lasts. Patreon.com. Game on with Jack. To the rookie, arousal starts and stays with the body. But the professional, the true player knows that sex doesn't start with the body, but with the mind. And the path to the erogenous zone of the brain is directly through our eyes and ears, what we see and what we hear. There exists no greater form of written word arousal than erotica, and that is what our guest tonight is talking about. Liv Arnold has worked as a copywriter for several global companies and now runs her own freelance business. She grew up in Melbourne, Australia and lives with her husband and their spoiled dog who only eats freshly cooked meals. When she's not writing, lives avoiding the gym. <laughs> I like that. Uh, devouring a cheese platter or marathoning way too much TV. And of course, she's a massive book addict and often reads until all hours of the night. In addition to being a mistress of the written word, Liv is also our guest this evening. All right, guys, you've heard the introduction and the bio. Now joining me in welcoming to Game On, the prolific, the sensual, and the power of wordsmith herself, Liv Arnold. Liv, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to be on. I'm super excited. Let's kick off with what is... Um, the best platform and by what username can the audience find you? So uh, audience can find me on Instagram and Twitter, LIV underscore AU. And they can also find me Facebook. So live Arnold author or any um, Amazon and book online retailers as well. Awesome. Awesome. And if people are not aware and not picking up the accent, you are, from Australia, is that also where I, I, I'm from Australia? <laughs> okay. From Melbourne. Is that also where you did you were you born and raised there, or did you move there as a kid? Yeah, 
No, I always lived here and I lived pretty much in the same suburb my whole life, so I haven't really experienced much other thing. Well, you, you found a place you like. There's nothing wrong with staying somewhere you like. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now, how did you get into the, well, how did you get into the business? What, was there a little, a little live sitting there and, you know, six years old with big eyes and like, I can't wait yeah. to grow up and write erotica or was it something that you just kind of found <laughs> well, actually, no, uh, no six-year-old should be saying that. Come to think of it, but was it just? A, um, it was just something I happened to be good at. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. Like, so when I was younger, I always enjoyed writing stories at school, okay. and um, so when I started writing, um, and I, my mum encouraged me to do a creative short writing course after full-time work um so it was just um part-time um yeah to go alongside my full-time hours and I originally got into writing and the course was for children's books and young adult and I just happened to write erotic romance instead so that was a bit of a change yeah I can just imagine like when you go to submit your assignment and the instructor's expecting you know x y yeah. z and you just give them all x's and they're like whoa wait a second <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, it was just something I'm good at. I'm I'm really good at um, the descriptive words, and it was something my friends actually said as a joke. How about you write this romance, sort of like Fifty Shades style, and where um, a woman accidentally walks in on a guy in a men's changing room, but since he's really good looking and he's rich, it's all good. So I just thought that could work, and I went with it. Now, what are some of your uh... Well, let me back up. So you go from getting finance, you got a niche for it, or a knack for it, I should say. Mm. And then yeah. did you self-publish? Did you find an agent? Did you find a publishing house? What were like some of the major steps that you took? So I started just entering stories um, in competitions and also in anthologies. I can never pre pronounce anthology that well. So um, it's like a series of short stories. And um, and so I started that just to get my name more out there and to have some credits under my name when su submitting to publishers. And then um, when it came time to when I finished my novel, um, I did get rejections. And But it, it was still good to have that list of credits that, like, say, I won a creative writing competition or I got into this anthology and yeah so then I went I went with a romance publisher that's based in the US. Now you mentioned rejection and yeah I know I yeah. know that it, just about every writer comes up against rejection I think writing is one of the fields where you almost can just guarantee somebody's going to reject you and I think a lot of people in other professions and just in their personal lives mm. get shut down by rejection, right? Because it's like, yeah. you know, whether it be asking somebody out, going asking for a promotion, going for a job, like mm. you don't, in any other profession but writing, you don't anticipate rejection. How? Mm. What is a piece of advice or several pieces of advice you can give our listeners, like how to handle rejection and not lose the momentum of trying? Well, I see it as if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. So it means that you're not um, taking risk or um, trying to push yourself to the next level. So that's a way to 
that I always thought about it. And I was reading an article with um, Stephen King, and he said that he, when he started out, he got hundreds of rejections, and he sort of um, put them up on his wall and said every rejection is like a badge of honour because it means he's going forward. So I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but that's just what I, I try to think about it like that. Well, I, I can't think of a more positive way to spin something as, yeah. as painful as rejection. Do you find that you've taken any rejections personally or do you just say, okay, well, my we just didn't fit, but I'm going to keep going? I usually think we didn't fit um, because sometimes the um, publishers or maybe an agent, they do give me detailed feedback of what they didn't like about my book. And, um, and I think with everything, especially in the creative industry, it's so subjective and it, it's up to me or the writer to have a look at the feedback and, take what resonates with you but if some of it doesn't since it's your story um to keep going and find someone else that's a better fit and gets your vision and and understand now handling rejections and getting to where you are now do you find that live yeah. today and i'm saying it right it's live not live right i don't want to go the whole interview but yes, yes, i'm like if yes. i'm butchering her name yes. for the whole interview she's going to curse me forever yeah. do you find that live now <laughs> is tougher than live at the beginning like do you think rejections have have honed you into like being more tenacious or do you think if you had gotten success yeah. right as soon as you've put out a, a feeler you had gotten the successful you know step would it have made you just mm -hmm. as powerful as you are now yeah, um, it, it has made me more mentally resilient. Um, mental resilience is something I've always struggled with in the past because I've always had anxiety and it definitely has built that mental resilience because if you want to get into the creative industry, you need to get, um, yeah, I, I do need to get used to negative feedback and rejections. Um, I'm one of the authors that reads all my reviews, even though I know I shouldn't be doing that. Um, I, I even read the negative reviews and sometimes I'm reading it. I was thinking, Oh, how rude. <laughs> like some, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but I've learned to be more mentally resilient, um, and, and learn that my work personally because sometimes rejection or um, negative reviews um, it, it says stuff about me personally and and I just learned not to take that as seriously even though sometimes I'm silently raging so um, yeah so I'm getting better so who are some of your uh, influences like who are there certain writers who have inspired you to do what you do or other creatives or people personally who have inspired you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in my latest novel, Stepping Stone Romance, um, well, a, a romantic suspense and it's got financial crime elements. And, um, I reached out to some New York Times bestselling authors to see if they can provide a quote for the cover of my book. And since I was cold contacting these authors, I wasn't 
expecting much of a response. And um, I was really happy and surprised when some of them did and provided a nice quote. So um, there was this number one New York Times bestselling author who writes erotic romance, Meredith Wilde. She provided a really lovely quote and so did Jay Kenner and Cherry Adair. So, and they're authors that, I started reading their romance books and then they're part of the reason why I decided to switch from wanting to write children's or young adults books to going into romance. And that's got to be pretty cool for them and for you. Yeah. You know, you hear, hear these are the people that you've read who are now coming back full circle and complimenting you. So that's, you know, big kudos to you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I was so surprised. Like, and it just shows that they're wonderful women to to support someone that they've never even met before. Now, I think that a lot of men, at some point in their lives, are completely unaware of the power of of erotic fiction. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guys think everything. You know, for men, everything is physical, right? And yeah. With women, and visual. Right, and visual, and with women, it starts <laughs> yeah. emotional and and mental. What are three yeah. three points of awareness that you would want men to know about erotica? Um, I, with erotica, a lot of people do see that genre and as less than compared to other genres because they see it as so cheesy or um. Or, or they think only some, someone like a desperate housewife would read it, but that's completely not true. I think uh, I've met women of all, from all different backgrounds, all different professional um, lives, read erotic romance, and um, and it's good because I, I've heard feedback from um, women saying that they did look at some of the scenes and spoke about it with their husband or their boyfriends, and it's um, and the genre actually inspires like an open conversation. And I think that someone, that's something everyone deserves to be able to voice what they really want in the bedroom or in their lives and, uh, and just go for it. Really. So, so an openness in their personal lives mm-hmm. was, is yeah. a great point of awareness. Is there, are there two other things you want men to know about erotica? Um, I'm just trying to think two other things. Um, another thing is, um, a lot of, a lot of people think that erotica doesn't have a storyline, but it does. So, so erotic romance, especially it drives the sex scenes, drives the character, um, the character development. Um, and so there is that story and that human connection and, and, and that's something else that it's important to know, um, that women do like having that character development and that connection. So, um, and the sex scene sort of complements, um, each of it. You know, to that point, I, I really want to, mm-hmm. I really want to challenge guys. If you haven't read erotica, give it, give it a solid try because, I know for men, like, I mean, I think men equate erotica and, and completely inaccurately, but they do this with like the plot of, of, of porn and erotica is so much smarter yeah. and, and actually has development where, look, there's, there's a place in the world for, you know, oh, she needs to get her cable fixed and the repair guy comes over. 
there's there's room in the yeah. world for that, but that's not what erotica is. Yeah. Erotica is much more, much more smarter. I mean, just much more like uh, much more cognitive. I think that's the word I would use. And you know, I, a point I want to throw yeah. is guys, give it a shot, and like don't don't knock it until you try it. Go pick up one of Liv's books yeah. and read it and enjoy the thing. Yeah, um, and it's a lot of fun researching the genre as well. Like I, I look up sex positions and some of them, I, it just defies gravity. So I don't even know how they do it. Like I was looking up the, the leapfrog sex position and the pinball wizard. And I was thinking, what is that? <laughs> um, because I also provide um sex advice for cosmopolitan as well. So different sex positions and some of them, they were completely unknown to me. Google was an eye opening experience. Well, I know what I'm looking up as soon as this interview is over. <laughs> yeah. The pinball wizard was in the leapfrog. Um, yeah, and I recently wrote a little piece that might go out soon about the Eiffel Tower, and I had no idea what that was. That there. just sounds, as a man, that sounds terribly intimidating. But I think I know what the <laughs> I think I know what the Eiffel Tower actually is. I really do think I know what that one yeah. is. If I'm if yeah. I'm correct, it involves more than just two people, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I, I had no idea what that even was when when I was first asked to provide a quote about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that requires some knowledge of like landmarks. So if if you're you know people are together and you're like, I know. Hey, let's try the Alpha Tower, and then halfway through you're like, No, this is the Golden Gate Bridge. You're like, oh shit, this isn't gonna yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you you almost need to draw stick figures to see where everyone will go. <laughs> now, have you found that? You know, from a personal standpoint, well, personal and professional, that there is some stigma still to people's reaction when they hear that you're an erotic writer. Are they like, oh, like, do they think you just sit somewhere and just, just pump out, you know, porn all day? Or or, or are we past that as, as a people? Um, it's a bit of both. So some people think it's a really uh, great genre to because people – for some reason, like when you watch a movie or read a scene, you can be reading or watching the most gruesome murder and no one really blinks an eye. But as soon as you start talking about sex, that's when someone's like, people are like, oh, that, that's a bit like full on. And it, it is changing that narrative. Like sex is natural. Everyone does it. And it is human nature. And, um, and it's something that people should be more comfortable talking because about because that's something that everyone does and it's not like um and it's not like when say like a thriller writer um people don't ask them so have you killed anyone in real life but with romance writers they say oh is this based on real life so there is that bit of stigma there but also more people are embracing it too so if there's if you could pick one myth that you would like dispelled about female writers and erotica what would it be there's um there's a myth that there's a lot of like sort of porno type puns in these erotic romance but that's not true a lot of it 
is exploring the human relationship. But I personally embrace the puns. Like I, I find it so funny. And so in a lot of my books, I, I try to get in some puns there. So sort of subtle, like he rose to the occasion or um, this was harder than I expected. So and I, I find it so funny and I laugh while writing it. <laughs> now, one last question about the industry. Do you feel like it's, has it matured? As people have, you know, I, I would say there's more sex available now in mainstream media, you know, TV, uh, on the internet, yeah. et cetera, than it was, let's say, five or ten years ago. Have do you have you found that erotica has matured? Like, you know, we're just the overall industry, not not so much just you in the industry, but other writers. Is yeah. it less? Is it less like schlockiness? Is it less like you know a winking eye in some of the writing? Or is it still pretty much, yeah. has, has it always just been mature? It, it's always been mature, but it, a lot of it depends on the writer. Um, I Some writers that I've come across just through Google, hearing about them, they're more about quantity over quality. So they just aim to pump out so many books um, to to get more money and and when I have looked at some of their books, it's usually of lesser quality. Like it's very formulatic, but uh, a lot of authors that take time to um, and takes pride in their work, they're taking six to 12 months to finish a book or longer. And um, it, it is about building that human relationship. So it is getting more mature and me, myself, I try to look at other ways to market the romance genre. Um, I'm, I'm in my 30s, so I've been on some magazine covers like Harper's Bazaar or um, FHM. And, um, and when I was in Maxim, um, my publishers found that really funny because they, since it was like the sexier type photos, they said, oh, well, that sort of fits your genre. So I, I personally try to find like other ways to embrace it. I got two things. Number one, you tested me because mm -hmm. You said when I have to pump it out, and I I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna take that, but I'm like, nope, that's a test. And yes, I I did see, and if I could be so bold, quite a beautiful woman when I saw you on a FHM and Maxim covers. So stunning. Thank you. Very stunning. Thank you, thank you. And um, it, it is something that um. Oh, there is that stereotype that a lot of authors, especially romance authors, um, are older and they're frumpy and they're middle aged and uh, I guess I'm trying to, for that different sort of angle and um, I guess only time will tell if that works or not. But I, I agree with that. That's a sad thing. And I mean, you know, I, guys, when you're go check out these covers we're talking about and, and there's an initial reaction like, okay, like what page is the writer on? And I think it, I think part of that is just because most magazines will put a model on the cover and then they'll bury it. They, yeah, or an actor or singer. Right, and then yeah. they bury the author like halfway through the magazine. Mm. But, yeah. but guys, you know, Liv is, is, is a, a very, very fetching young lady, very attractive. And, <laughs> and you're going to go, but, but where's the writer at? No, that's her. <laughs> that's her on the cover. Yeah. And, and she's going to, she's yeah. going to say inappropriate puns to you as you read the article all the way through. I know. I, I laugh at, at, at all my interviews um, and um, I make sure that in my article or on the cover that it says that I'm an author um, because a lot of the 
times, like I, I know this sounds really like poor me type thing, but and um, it, it says a lot of the times when I get the mock-up back from magazines, it straight away writes down, down that I'm a model and I always – reply back saying I'm not a model I'm an author can you change that and that sounds like I'm complaining about leading a tough life but that's not it you know before we get to uh some before we get to some of my favorite questions I like to throw at every guest mm. I do love that in every erotic I've written I've read I should let me back up and say that I do love to count how many times I read the word engorged <laughs> Okay. I don't think I've used that word that much. Oh, it's a it's like a requirement, I think. And the word uh Yeah. And uh, um heaving. Like yeah, like you know, and, and maybe that's some more period piece stuff, but it's always like her heaving bosom. I'm like, what is heaving? Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to go look that up. Yeah. But well what is one word that you find you fall back on all the time? Um more about heat or sizzling like a sizzling hot pan i sometimes use um the weather um to just so when someone's reaching climax or orgasm i only care about the female orgasm when i write i don't even care if the male <laughs> finishes or not <laughs> uh, like, like a true man right there i don't care if you get yours i'm good night. <laughs> Um, so usually if it's, um, I like so an effective way to describe that orgasm scene is likening it to, um, a weather like, um, a Taisumi or an earthquake, like, um, her legs quaked or something like that. And that, that can be that good build up to, to liken it to one of those type things. Talk about, um some sexual intimidation for men guys if you don't make her feel a natural phenomenon when you're having sex with her you're going <laughs> wrong if there's not a an earthquake or uh you know a, a tasumi yeah, or typhoon or, or, <laughs> or a, a lunar eclipse going on something you're not doing right uh yeah and that's what every woman woman deserves they need to feel like 100 percent, 100 percent. live one of my favorite questions uh in keeping with the theme of sexiness what is the sexiest thing about you mm. um i would say my humor i i when i have interviews um i find probably with a lot of people in the in entertainment industry you get asked similar questions over and over again again and i just have fun with it like a, a lot of my interviews it's a bit of a joke um uh, um there's this maxim article coming out in a few weeks and um that a lot of the questions they ask is like say what do you look for in an ideal guy or what's um what's your ideal date and i think i just made a joke saying it will just be watching game of thrones and winter won't be the only one that's coming and it's just really silly <laughs> i like that one what's um yeah. what what to you makes a person sexy uh i would say i i've mentioned before that i do have a lot of anxiety so i since i was young i I would used to worry about little things and my spiral, my thoughts will spiral out of control um, until all hours of the night and the sun would come out. And I know this isn't counted as typically a sexy thing, but I've always been attracted to men who's been 
reliable and kiss security, but I know that's like not something that people equal, like think about when they think about sexy. But since I've always had anxiety, I, I like that strong presence. That's like that reliability factor. I, I think that's a great answer. I like that one. Yeah. Well, folks, yeah. it is time for the quick game where we like to give our guests a chance to run through some entertaining questions. Liv, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right, here you go. Don't overthink it. Just boom, kick out an answer. Okay. Uh, what are you not very? Sounds what good. are you not very good at? I, I never worked out how to put a K on a K chain. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just it's an adult fa- fail. <laughs> I just can't do it. Who would you like to play you on a movie? Um, I'm Asian. Someone white. <laughs> if you had to pick a uh, vampire or a werewolf. Vampire. Um, when I was young, I, I've always wanted to be a vampire. You know, it's funny. Speaking of vampires and you're an erotic writer, have you ever read, uh, is it Laurel Hamilton? No, I haven't. Yeah, she, she, uh, I'd say in the early 90s, maybe, no, maybe mid to late 90s. She wrote a ton of um of uh, erotic like paranormal fiction mm. and uh oh okay I'll have to yeah I think it's Laurel K Hamilton if I got the name right but it was uh yeah. some, some pretty 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 he- sweaty stuff lots of heaving lots of engorging and lots lots of uh <laughs> yeah. lots of lots of pulsating yeah, throbbing lots of earthquakes <laughs> and tsunamis and stuff um yeah what is your favorite chore my favorite chore yeah. Of a chore, like like uh, around the I'm house. A, oh, oh, um, oh, I'm a good cook. I was I was going to say, but I, I never learned how to turn on the washing machine, so that's something. <laughs> I guess that's my favorite chore because I don't have to do it. <laughs> I feel like hell for you would be a washing machine with a keychain on it. I know. <laughs> uh, what is your least favorite? Uh, uh I'm. My parents are actually hoarders. Um, like, if you go into their house, it's stuff everywhere. There's, like, um, there, there's mail in the garden to prevent weeds from coming out and brochures and in the garden. And um, they use yogurt tubs to plant weeds in okay. it. So that would be my least fav- favorite chore to ever have to clean my parents' house. Uh, do you prefer nighttime or daytime? Nighttime. I think every writer likes nighttime. I, I would bet cash yeah, money I, on that. I'm not a morning person. I, I just think, like, there's nothing to do that early. And now this question I'm, I'm super interested and curious about, uh, mm. chicken salad or tuna salad? Chicken. Thank you. God, tuna salad is gross. Yeah, I don't know why people would choose um, tuna salad. Same with um, sushi. When I see people order a tuna sushi, I think that's a bit odd. Yeah, I, actually, I, I have only ever had one piece of sushi in my life, and I, I can't stand sushi. Oh, oh fair enough. Yeah, I just keep thinking yeah. that's why we invented fire, so we don't eat stuff raw. But, I mean, I, I know it's an acquired yeah. taste. I, I hear it's amazing. It's good, but it's just it's just not for me. It is good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean the cooked choose, um, tuna that's in the can. I don't know why people would choose that as a sushi flavor. Oh, yeah. I, well, I've had chicken salad yeah. and tuna salad from a can. And I'm still yeah. here to tell about it. <laughs> yeah. If you could pick one piece of fruit 
And if it came to life, you would have, you would not want to fight it. What would it be? Um, a watermelon. They're huge. <laughs> <laughs> I know when I picked that question, this is such an unusual question. I can't wait to hear somebody's answer. Um, yeah. And also, and it'll spot everywhere. And I would have to say pineapple because that's like that. You know, they're hard to cut. That's like oh yeah. Be, it's spiky as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like a pineapple would kick my ass. Um, maybe my favorite question of all: Who inspires you? Uh, I would say my brother. Um, he he um does a business called Memorized Medicine, and um he uh so it's it's online flashcards to with a, a space repetition method to help pharmacy students study. And I just thought that was such a cool idea. And I always um, get inspired by people that tries to think out of the box and um, and the missing gap in the industry. Good people, sexy people. That wraps up our interview with the prolific, yes. the central, and the powerful wordsmith herself, Liv Arnold. Liv, thank, thank you. you so much, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.